0: Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Faith for Exiles. We're fired up tonight, watch out. Faith for Exiles. Faith for Exiles is the name of the series we are doing at the moment. It is based on a book by a couple of guys, David Kinneman and Mark Matlock, who are researchers with the Barney Group, and they did... Thousands and thousands of surveys of young people between the ages of 18 to 12, 15, rather and 29, to discover what it is that helps people stay in faith for the long haul. Because let me tell you, if you've never been to church here tonight, you are so welcome. And we are praying that you are having an encounter with Jesus and that you will have an encounter with Jesus. But what we want is for you to stay with Jesus for the test of time throughout the rest of your life. That from now until your dying day, you will be able to say, "I serve Jesus." My house stands for the Lord. My children are raised in the house of God. I will follow him all the days of my life. Amen. That's what we're about. Let let me not try and bait and switch you here. That is what we're passionate about. We are about developing resilient disciples, disciples that last the test of time. That's what this series is about. And so there are five overall messages in this series. Last week, we looked at the first one, which was all about intimacy with Jesus. And these are five traits that Kinnaman and Matlock discovered that help people last the test of time as, as followers of Jesus. So if you are already a follower of Jesus, if you're between the ages of 15 and 29, and you are looking for ways to grow in your faith, start here start here. So the first one is intimacy with Jesus. Next week, we're going to be diving into what it looks like to to create intergenerational relationships between the generations that grow us and mentor us and, and help us flourish. Then we're looking at what it means in week four to have uh, faith as a vocation. Like how do we do faith at work in a way that is, is healthy and encouraging and uplifting and not Bible bashing, obviously. And in the last week, week five, we are looking at how to be cultural missionaries. How do we step out into our world no matter where it is to bring the mission of God to the people of God that don't yet know They're the people of God, people of God in the making. Tonight, I'm preaching a message called Knowing the Times, Knowing the Times, and it's about what it means to be a culturally engaged leader, which is something we are very passionate about at Encounter. And what we want, ultimately, out of this idea of culturally engaged leaders is a group of people who follow Jesus, who are passionate about that, who are on fire in their spirit for what Jesus is doing, and are able to communicate that to the world around them in a way that is inviting and encouraging and uplifting in a way that brings them closer to Jesus. That's what we're all about. And I want to encourage you, before I get right into this, a few weeks ago I preached on this. I've got new material tonight, I promise. But If you want to know a bit more about this, dive into the podcast, our awesome encounter podcast, look for the Vision Values series, week two, Culturally Engaged Leaders, jump on that and you'll get a better, more fully fleshed out picture of what it means to be a culturally engaged leader. So you might be wondering, what exactly does it mean to be a culturally engaged leader? Well, I would say this, it's about knowing the times and living for Christ knowing the times and living for Christ. Because we all know people who who know the times and don't live for Christ, right? Like, that's most of the world. They know what's happening in the world around them-ish, but they don't necessarily live for Jesus. And I know plenty of people that live for Jesus, that is, they live for Christ, but they don't necessarily know what's going on in the world around them. They're a bit detached from that. But we believe that Jesus is calling us to both of those things, to know the times and live for Christ, be a culturally engaged leader. Now, you may, may be thinking, Mike, this is great. I still don't really know what you're talking about. That's fine. Let, let's start by talking about what it's not. Who's heard of the coronavirus? I believe, that, I believe that's how it's pronounced. I do get those things wrong, though, so I could be wrong. Um, now, this has been going what? This is not what a culturally engaged leader looks like. Now, let me tell you why. Hundreds and hundreds of toilet rolls are not going to solve coronavirus, I promise. Coronavirus is basically the flu, it's just a strain of flu that we don't have a remedy for at the moment. Now, it is dangerous, and it's dangerous in particular to the vulnerable and the elderly. Guess who suffers when you all bolt down to the supermarkets and buy up all the toilet paper? The people that get there more slowly, the vulnerable and the elderly. You're not helping by buying all the toilet paper. By the way, by the way, quarantine for the coronavirus is two weeks. How much toilet paper are you using in those two weeks? (laughs) That is a problem you might need to see someone about, I'm just saying. If you need that much toilet paper in two weeks, unless you're doing the whole like cheaper-by-the-dozen household, I don't know, um, you're not going to need that much toilet paper. That's concerning. That is concerning. So that is not a culturally engaged leader. In fact, I read this, I I couldn't resist, I read it like literally moments before I came here tonight. This is from the Sydney Morning Herald, semi-reputable publication. Charges laid over toilet paper fracas at Sydney supermarket. Police have charged two women with a fray over an alleged assault sparked by toilet paper panic buying at a Sydney Woolworth. People have been charged over this now. This is the level of panic we are currently in. The women aged 23 and 60, what were they getting into at that age? Like, was I don't know if this was just like a, a, young, a young buck and an old buck going, this is, we're laying it down now, I don't know. Footage of the incident quickly circulated on social media on Saturday. Yet another reason not to get in a fight over toilet paper. Showing staff intervening in a dispute between the women, and etc. etc. Somebody just said, I just want one pack. Apparently, that wasn't reasonable. Let's just leave it at this. You don't need to buy up enough toilet paper for the apocalypse. The coronavirus is not the apocalypse. So if that's not a culturally engaged leader, what is a culturally engaged leader? Well, let me introduce you to the theologian, Karl Barth. Everybody say hello to Karl. Karl. He can't hear you. He's deceased. (laughs) Karl Barth was a Swiss theologian in the 20th century. It's also just a picture, by the way, but maybe the greatest Christian thinker of the 20th century. He was a Swiss thinker and theologian, and he lived and operated, and much of his prime as a leader was during the Second World War. And this is one of the quotes that Barth has. He says, take your Bible and take your newspaper and read both, but interpret newspapers from your Bible. Take your Bible and your newspaper, read both, but interpret your newspaper from your Bible. Now, what does he mean by this? He means that culturally engaged leaders who want to know the times can't hide from the world around them, but neither can they be swayed by them constantly. They've got to be able to understand the world around them without being moved and shifted by the world around them. There is a key difference. Barth wanted his readers to engage, there's that word again, engage with the world around them through the lens of scripture. But Karl Barth was never prepared for the digital age. It was never prepared for this idea that, suddenly, information would just be carried in our pockets constantly, because in Karl Barth's age, it was a question of, are you engaging with the Bible or engaging with the newspaper, or can you do one through the other? In our age, we leave all of that and are sucked into an entirely different world where we actually disengage with people around us and engage instead with a screen in front of us. We are being shaped by our search engines more than we know. Talked about that in another podcast. Search through all the podcasts, listen to them all, you hear that. <laughs> That's digital Babylon. That's what we call digital Babylon. Now, here's, here's another thing, though. What Bart did know is that information is not always inherently true. Did you know that? We, we live in an age where we have at least two American newspapers that are, like, big mainstream newspapers and um, news publications that are outright just cheering on different political parties without any attempt at objectivity anymore. What was once journalism has now become what's called partisanship. They're just supporting the party and ideas of their choice. And it's gotten so bad that a satire site, ironically named The Babylon Bee, is now being like, ripped into this whole thing and saying that they're, they're misleading people, but with their satirical websites and satirical blog posts. Again, it's satire. It's on the website, it's satire, but the difference between truth and fake news is so blurred that people are angry at the satire for misleading people and upholding the news, web- the news websites that are deliberately misleading people. This is where it gets blurry for us as culturally engaged leaders. How do we know what truth is? Well, I want to turn to Paul's letter to the Colossians today to understand that, because to nobody's surprise, my answer is Jesus, but I want to duck duck into and unpack why. So turn with me to the book of Colossians, if you've got it, chapter 2, if you've got a Bible with you. The thing about culturally engaged leaders is... I sometimes feel like this is a bit of an innovative idea, but it's not really, because the hardest part is trying to work out which of the many, many, many Bible passages to use to talk about knowing the times and about being a culturally engaged leader. I want to talk about this one from Colossians today. So Paul writes this letter, Paul, the Apostle Paul, one of the great leaders of the New Testament and of the church today. We are largely here because he evangelized half the modern world at that time and planted churches here, there, and everywhere. Now, he didn't plant a church in Colossae, but he wrote to it with the authority that only Paul can to say, this is how you're meant to live. It takes a lot of guts to write to a church you've never been to and say that, and then have them publish it and it be important enough that it becomes part of the Bible. Paul sends a similar letter, actually, to a church in Galatia, which he did plant. And in both of these letters, he's basically saying, I want you to understand what the message of Jesus Christ is. Because if you don't understand that, you're going to get moved by everything around you. You're going to be constantly confused and easily swayed. And Paul was talking about this for a number of reasons, but mostly he'd be writing he was a Jewish man who had gone on mission to the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. And he was mostly writing from a perspective of encouraging people not to listen to Jews who were coming to tell them to, for all the men to get circumcised. And all the men who were Gentiles are breathing a sigh of relief when they read Paul's letter, I'm sure. But more to the point... Paul says, this is about an old way of living. Jesus has come to bring a new way of living. An old promise, a new promise. An old covenant, a new covenant. And so these confused but passionate Jewish Christians are saying, yes, Jesus is true, but you have to do these things as well, these Jewish things. Basically, they're saying, even if you are Christian and you are Greek, you need to be Jewish as well. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. He pushes back hard. And he pushes back in these two key different ways and then comes to finish with the third. The first one he says is you need to avoid being taken captive. And he's talking about a religious sense of ideology here, these rules that somehow people put in place. Why do we put rules in place? We put them in place so we can feel comfortable within them. So people were coming in, these Jewish Christians were coming in, they were putting rules in place, and Paul was saying you are becoming captive to these old human traditions. Don't become captive. Avoid being a captive. That's the first thing he said. The second thing he said is to avoid philosophy and empty deceit. Now, Paul lived and and operated in the Mediterranean region much of his adult life in the Greek Empire, and in the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire, Greek cities in the Roman Empire, philosophers were everywhere. You think of Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and all these great thinkers and philosophers and theologians, and everyone would come up with a new idea. In fact, when Paul is in Athens, he talks about how they go to the marketplace where everyone comes to hear the latest ideas. doesn't matter if they're good or not. They just come to hear them. New is always better, right? Well, Paul says, don't be trapped by this empty deceit and these fake philosophies. Don't assume that just because something is new, it is good. Don't assume that. And then he comes to the finish, as Paul always does, by saying, live in and through Jesus Christ. See, Paul is trying to explain something here that is incredibly important. On one hand, we've got this idea of a religious spirit, which says, I will do all these things exactly the right way, and God will love me because of it. And if I don't do it the right way, I'll be punished, but I will do it the right way. And then God will love me. And then over here, there's this rebellious spirit that says, well, that's true, but this is also true, and that's true. And none of these things are the same, but everything is true. Muzzle tough, you know? And in all that, Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Jesus is a separate way. And he puts it this way. He says, Jesus is who you are filled with. You are full of Jesus Christ. You are not full of empty religion, old human traditions, or empty deceitful philosophies. You are filled with Jesus. And one of the ways we look at this is like it's a lens to see through. Now, I am so blind. I think I'm probably the second blindest person at Encounter Church. Blindest, you know who you are. (laughs) Bless you, you can't see me. Um, (laughs) We love you, Tex. <laughs> and every now and then, people who don't wear glasses are like, how bad is your eyesight? I am like, oh, it's pretty bad. And they're like, well, I mean, how bad could it be? And then they try my glasses on, and without fail, they jerk their head back like, like they've been shot, and go, your eyesight really is terrible. I'm like, yes, I know. That's why I wear the glasses. I didn't need you to affirm me in that. But thank you for reminding me how bad my eyesight is. Possibly degenerative. Again, thank you for reminding me. Great, good stuff. But the point that Paul makes is, if I took these off and gave them to Tex, and Tex took his off and gave them to me, neither of us are seeing properly. Because the lens you see through defines how you live and understand and how you operate, and you've got to have the right lens on. And Paul is saying the only lens you need is Jesus, because you've been living in this religious box, or or there's people coming to tell you to live in a religious box. Paul says, don't do that. You'll get trapped. You'll get taken captive. He wrote this from a jail. He knows what it means to be taken captive. And then there's other people coming on to say, no, 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 the newest philosophy. Pay attention to this. It's coming along. It's the hot new thing. Ignore that. You've got to get on this, or a massive FOMO. You're going to miss out. And Paul says, no, no. All you need, you have. All Jesus needs to do for you, he has done. You have the victory. You have grace given to you by God the Father through the Son. You have faith in Jesus Christ that saves you and justifies you before God. And you have the Bible in your hand and the spirit within you and a mission and purpose for your life to go and do what Jesus has called you to do. We don't need to fear anything. We don't need to be in human tradition or empty deceit. We need to be in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Come on. It's a separate way, a third way, away from religious problems, away from this rebellious sense of freedom, a third way that says, no, no, truth and grace, I hold them together in Jesus Christ. Jesus has done the work. We don't need to prove ourselves, but we need to know that there's only one truth and it's in him. And so we come to this idea. Paul goes on in verse five, he says, you've got to avoid what's reasonable, which frankly is... and unreasonable thing to say. But, but here's this point. Just because something sounds good at first glance doesn't mean it's right. Yeah. Just because somebody comes on and they make a reasonable argument, for example, they believe in something and they give you an argument about why they believe in it. Now that is, might be a good argument. They may truly believe it. It doesn't make it true. And this is something that might be the most offensive thing you've heard this week. Because all of us probably have things we hold on to dearly that either aren't true or are profoundly unhelpful. And Jesus wants to set us free from those as well. So as we think about these lens that we see Jesus through, I think I see people, particularly Christians, responding in four different ways. And then I want to go through them quickly and offer a fifth. There are four wrong Christian responses as we react to the culture around us. The first one I call the conformed response. The conformed response. The conformed response says this. If everybody else is doing it, I should do it too. That seems like a good idea. Everyone else is doing it? I'll do it. The conformed response presumes that whatever is new is best, like I was saying before. So they follow trends quickly without discerning where they're going. What's that it's trending on Twitter? I need to get what is that? I need to get on that. What's that what's that? The latest Apple product? Let me line up at midnight to get it. I, I just need to get it. <coughs> Have you thought about what it might be doing to you? doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If I'm not with this, I'll be left behind. It's new. It's got to be better. That's how we move, right? The conformed person, the conformed response, sees culture and immediately says yes. They don't stop to think. They stop to consider whether it's healthy or unhealthy, good or bad. Again, culture is not inherently good or bad. It just is. It's up to us to work out what things within it are of the gospel and what aren't. What's going to help us follow Jesus and what isn't? So the conformed response, they sometimes come to faith really quickly, and then they lose faith really quickly. Because as soon as they hear anything that's different to what they hold dear, they assume the other opinion is correct. And if you're here and you follow cultural trends without thinking, if you have huge FOMO when things are happening and you're not there, you might be a conformed responder. Just think about that. I want to pray for that later on. The second response I see that's wrong is this. I call it the aggressive response. So if the conformed response says, if everybody else is doing it, I should too. The aggressive response says, everybody else is doing it and I'm starting a fight. I just want to get into it with people. Uh, They assume that whatever is new is evil or wrong. They assume it is bad. The conformed response assumes it's good. The aggressive response assumes it's bad, and they're going to pick a fight for it. And you can find some of these people, you'll be amazed, on the internet. I know. It was news to me, too. They can be found on the internet at times. They can be found in Reddit forums. They can be found on Facebook threads. They can be found, your, your, your angry uncle that one time, he had one too many sherrys and, you know, really got into it about refugees. It's like, okay, just shh, time out, just time out. You don't need to have an aggressive response. Because those people are keyboard warriors who crack under pressure. They, there's a, a sense of aggression within us sometimes when something comes against us and our first response is fight. You've heard of this idea of fight or flight? Sometimes we just want to fight. And Jesus is coming to say just, Just lay down your arms. The response is not to attack. In fact, Jesus' response to the culture around him was to die for them, to lay down his own life for them. So, the aggressive response rather than examine their own beliefs, they want to attack the beliefs of others, and that is at best unhelpful. The third response I call the withdrawn response. So, you've got the conformed, the aggressive, and the withdrawn. Okay, conformed assumes everything that is new is good, aggressive, everything that is new is bad. The withdrawn says whatever is new is scary. And they don't really care what's happening. They just want it to be over there. They're the kind of people who are likely to say, "Uh, like, you do you. Someone will come up and they'll say something that, that you profoundly disagree with and you'll be like, that's so good for you, man. I'm happy for you. That's so great and yet just instinctively moving back from the idea as if the idea will contaminate you. So you go out and buy all the hand sanitizer in Woolworths and then there's none for anyone else. Anyway, we're going back to coronavirus. But the, the point here is we're not given a, a spirit of fear. We're not made slaves of fear. We're given a spirit of daughtership, of sonship that makes us children of God. Children of God have nothing to fear and the withdrawn response is one that actually doesn't care about the other person. It's one that says, as long as I'm okay, you do whatever you want. And so the withdrawn person has this ability to hold intention, kind of, the idea that Jesus is Lord. He is the saviour of all creation and my personal Lord and saviour. But also you do you. That doesn't work in the kingdom of God. It shows a profound lack of compassion and empathy for the other person. That's the withdrawn response. The fourth wrong response I see, and all these responses I see amongst Christians. You can be a follower of Jesus and hold all of these, but I'd encourage you to change. <laughs> the fourth is the cynical response. If everybody else is doing it, it must be wrong, or maybe more accurately, mainstream. You know? like This is less like sending sheep among wolves and more like sending hipsters amongst sheep. Like oh, this new idea has come, wake up sheeple, they're buying you, the government is buying you, the corporations are controlling you and you don't even get it. I was on this ages ago, I wrote a blog, you haven't even read it. There's this, there's this combination of the withdrawn like it's your problem and the aggressive like you're an idiot with this whole sense of I am superior to you. The cynical person ultimately when they're responding to culture are saying you don't get it and I don't care enough. So I'm just going to remind you that I am superior to you. I'm going to withdraw, I'm going to be aggressive, and I'm going to believe the worst in you. See, cynical responses assume that when somebody else holds a position different to them, that person hasn't thought about it. That person hasn't paid any attention to what's going on at all, even if they have. They assume and believe the worst in people. So if these... And we believe the best in people here at Encounter, frankly. So... If those are the four bad responses, what's the one that I think God's calling us to? Well, I call it the engaged response, culturally engaged leaders, remember? The engaged response. The engaged response says this, if everybody else is doing it, it must have significant cultural importance. It must be important. Not right, not wrong. It must be important. And so their reaction is to be interested, to go, why? Why? Why are people so fascinated by this? Let me uncover. Their posture is one of listening to go, "I want to hear what you have to say about this." They're people who wait. They wait and see what happens. They wait and see what God is doing amongst His people. They wait and see what the fruit is of some of this thinking and some of this behavior. They don't assume anything. They wait, they listen, they empathize, and then they act. See, the beauty of an engaged response is it's not just about how you feel, whether that's about your emotions or your fear, but it's about your convictions, about what God is calling you to do and who God is calling you to be. The engaged response says, because I look through the lens of Jesus Christ, I will wait, I will listen, I will love, and I will engage. I'm not afraid to critique if I think something's wrong. I'm not afraid to affirm if something in the culture is good and holy and noble. I'm not afraid to ask further questions if I'm not sure. You don't need to be afraid of what's going on in the world around you. There's nothing to be frightened about because Jesus has overcome the world. He's overcome the world. What, what I'm seeing around us now is that there is this, this hunger in people, right? I was, I was praying a couple of months ago, and I just sensed God saying, there's a, there's a wild season coming. I was like, all right, well, that's wild. Like, what, tell, tell me, okay. And that was it. I didn't, I didn't get any more explanation. That's the thing about little God drops. You don't always get everything. It's just a wild season coming. And as I step into this church and I hear what's going on and I sense the spiritual temperature in the room, there's a hunger. People want, you want, I want renewal, revival in our life. Jared's wearing shirts about it. That's how excited he is. People want to see revival. But the way we see revival as culturally engaged leaders is by putting on the lens of Jesus on us at all times. Culturally engaged leaders have to know how they're looking at things, because you and I will always look through the lens of our experience, our family, our history, our prejudices, our biases. And Jesus is saying, here's the Bible, read through the lens of this. Like Bart said, look at the newspaper, or you know, the websites, and look at the scriptures, but interpret the news through your scriptures. Interpret the culture around you through your scriptures. That doesn't mean it's all bad. doesn't mean it's all good. doesn't mean you should run away. It just means that's how you need to interpret it. As followers of Jesus, we interpret things through a lens of Jesus. And I just have these, these two questions I want to leave with you just to tick over while we worship and respond. The first is this. it would be the very last slide, I think, Jez, if you pop it up does this activity or habit or product or whatever you're doing, does this form me to be more like Jesus or less like Jesus? Does what I'm doing form me in Jesus' image? And the second one, which is up there, is does this help me follow the way of Jesus? Because Jesus is both a person and a way to follow. A person and a way to follow. He is the way to God the Father. And he's a person in whom we can place our trust. A person who lived for us, died for us, rose again for us. And tonight in this place, for some of you, there there is a story that is being told in your life and, and you don't believe it yet. A story in which Jesus is saying, you are my beloved daughter, you are my beloved son. Come home, come home. Come home. Find your home in me. Find your home in the heart of God. And there's something stirring up in your spirit and you're you're a bit stressed and maybe a bit sweaty, frankly, and you're shaking and you don't know what's going on. It is the Spirit of God in you speaking to you now. There is a cry for revival over this generation. There is a hunger to say there is something more in life than this. There is something stirring up among us that we are hungry for, that we're desperate for. We can't just live lives of quiet desperation anymore. We want the presence of God here. We want to press into it. And what you need is personal renewal in your life. If you want revival to break out in this country, in this church, in this city, all around us, what you need is the renewal of your heart of your mind, of your life, until you lay that down before Jesus and say, this belongs to you, you will not see the revival you want. You will not hear God in the way you want. You will not experience the presence of God in the way that you want. And part of being a culturally engaged leader is engaging with your personal culture, the lenses you look through, the passions you have, the habits you have, the things you consume and just take for granted, it's fine. The things you go out and do on the weekend and just take for granted, it's fine. The people you spend time with and just take for granted, it's fine. Friends, it might be, but it might be shaping you into something that is profoundly not like the image of Jesus. And your call, if what you want is to hear from God in a new, fresh way, if what you're wanting this season is the presence of God falling over you in waves, not just a little bit, not just enough to get you through Monday, But again and again and again and again, you need renewal. You need to lay down everything, all your fears, your insecurities, your brokenness, your sin, all the thing that's in the darkness. It's going to be coming to light. Jesus says again and again, something that he sums up really succinctly in one of the Gospels, he says, in this life, you're going to have trouble." Right, I'm not promising you an easy path. In fact, I'm going to die up on a cross. It's painful. It's horrible. But take heart, he says. I have overcome the world. As you pursue renewal in your life, and and friends, do it. Do it. Not because I tell you to, but because you need it. You need the Spirit of God drenching you, saturating you from the inside out, overflowing. You need it. I need it. If you're pursuing renewal, you are going to have to lay down things that have felt good for something that is greater, the presence of God. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you're able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.